Hey family, Wendy Marcel Fitzwilliam is a friend. I met her a while ago and I've recently come to just enjoy so much of what she's about. She's a Trinidadian lawyer, actress, model, singer, TV host, and a beauty queen who won Miss Universe in 1998. We're going to talk a little bit about that. She was the second Miss Universe in history from Trinidad and Tobago and was the third woman of African heritage to capture this crown. More importantly, she's visiting with us from her home, and I can hardly wait for you to enjoy the spirit and the love she shares with us from it. Wendy. Wendy, it's so great to see you again. How are you? I am well, Janice. It's wonderful to be with you. I'm well, so you know looking forward to chat today. Uh -oh. Girl, 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 girl. Listen, as a fan, I feel as though we already know each other much more intimately than we do. And I know we're about to have just another great conversation. Um, we have a lot to talk about because everybody wants to know where did all of this come from, Miss Wendy? So let's start with <laughs> young Wendy. Start with young Wendy. Tell us what your childhood was like and what it was like for you, your sister and your family growing up in Trinidad and Tobago. Sure, Janice. You know, I um, would like to think that I had a very typical uh, Trinidadian upbringing, um, very uh, working class or middle class rather. Uh, my dad was a fireman, a fire officer by the time I was born. Uh, my mom, a teacher, um, both of them very humble beginnings, but they were married for 10 years before they had my sister and I. Um, so they were quite settled in their careers, uh, relatively advanced in their careers, and very um, sure of who they were, <laughs> as it were. Uh, so Rather uh, like my husband and I, Wendy. Really? Yes, yes. Okay. Bernie and yes. I were really yes, yes. secure in our careers and our relationship before our children came. We were really a very close-knit family, you know, very, very close-knit family. Uh, Trinidad is very diverse um, culturally, ethnically, um, and because we're tiny, a twin island country, relatively small, um, there isn't the separation you have, uh, like, say, on a continent. So even though you have lots of holidays in America celebrating everyone, not everyone celebrates everyone else's holiday. Because I lived in the U.S. for a while, too. And there were lots of fabulous Jewish holidays, for example. But if you were not Jewish, you didn't know so much about it, if you know what I mean. Yes. Because we are tiny, we did it all, you know. So I was very accustomed to celebrating Eid al-Fitr and Hussein and a lot of the Muslim and Hindu festivals, Diwali, etc. Um, and my parents always made us think, my sister and I, that we can be and do whatever we wanted to. So that's why I thought I could be a glamorous lawyer and <laughs> well, and then the time actually, came, a beauty well, queen, actually, a model, everything under the sun. <laughs> you know? you, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so what influenced you though in particular? What influenced you to become a lawyer? You know, I always, initially television, I will be quite honest. You know, I grew up in the era of, of, of Matlot and there were a few British shows on, on television um, here in, in, in Trinidad as a child. And I just liked the law. I just gravitated towards the law. Those were the kind of shows I would look at on TV. So now, 
you know, it would be like law and order, I guess, and that kind of thing. Um, and I always liked fashion as well. Uh, so fashion, more than the beauty business, fashion. Um, so I told my father very early o'clock, you know, and I'm the firstborn in my family. I have one younger sister. And I told my dad very, very early that I wanted to be an attorney. Um, I just loved the idea of arguing and winning cases <laughs> as a little girl. And I'm talking very young now at the start of, of what we call primary school in America. It's elementary school. Um, very early. And I never wavered from that. You know, I always wanted to study law. Ironically, Janice, be ready for this. When I was uh, at um, university and in the Caribbean, our system is very much like the British system. So, you know, Americans do an undergrad in anything and then you go to law school. Our undergraduate degree is an LLB, a Bachelor of Law degree. So we do our undergrad in law and then we go to law school for the practical part of the, the profession. And I, um, while studying for my undergrad, uh, figured at our early o'clock, I love law, but I will never practice law. <laughs> well, listen, wait a minute, though. Now, look, you won Miss Universe, and then you immediately took your final exams. Yes. Um, what was that like, girl? I mean, because your, your whole world was changing. And so I have to put that in context, uh, Janice, because I uh, my first paid modeling job was when I was 11 years old. I had just started high school, what you would call middle school in, in, in the US. And um, uh, I always enjoyed fashion, particularly. So I modeled hair for a long time, TV commercials, runway, all of it, you name it, print work, et cetera, in, in Trinidad, and a little bit in the Caribbean, beyond uh, Trinidad and Tobago. And um, but I always like law. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm a good West Indian group from a good West Indian family, which means there are only three real professions in the world. Now that has changed a little. But in my time, your options were doctor, lawyer, or engineer. In that order. <laughs> right? So you went to the top of the pecking order. <laughs> yes. Um, and because that was, you know, very much a part of my upbringing, not only from my parents, but from everyone around me. My parents, to their credit, never insisted that my sister and I pursue a particular profession, but everyone else around us did. You know, their friends, everyone else around us, the media, everyone else around us did. Uh, and I always liked law, so it was easy for me. My sister, who's a year younger than I am, wanted everything under the sun, an astronaut at one point, an actuary. Um, a fire officer like her father, like everything, you know, she eventually settled on finance and she's a whiz. Um, that said, uh, the, 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 the entry into pageantry was very much by chance for me. Uh, as I was modeling, as I said, from the age of 11, and I had a very good friend who was a fashion designer here, a stylist in Trinidad, Peter Elias. Um, and we, we bonded over your, a, a Whitney Houston cover of Harper's Bazaar. Whitney, and I don't know what year this was, 1980-something, right? 89, I think it is, around there, um, was on the, or, or 1990, was around there, had the, was on the January cover of Harper's Bazaar in this bias cut Galliano gown that was to die for. I'm sure you remember that image of Whitney. It was absolutely ethereal, like, Nothing I'd ever seen before. Of course, I cannot afford a Galliano. 
<laughs> then, then <laughs> one, but because I always loved fashion and not just, uh, you know, the, the modeling and being in front of the camera, I also made my own clothing. I, I took a, um, several sewing courses to the advanced level when I was in high school. Uh, my, I, I decided I, I needed to get that dress and my buddy Peter and I bonded over that dress and my desire to have that dress and he knew it was way beyond my ability. <laughs> so he hooked me up with the right team to get it done. And that's where it started. He loved Miss Universe specifically. Not all pageants, just Miss Universe. To him, Miss Universe was the Super Bowl of pageants or the World Cup of pageants. And he enjoyed it thoroughly. So every Miss Universe or, or Miss, uh, Trinidad and Tobago Universe from the 1990s were friends of Peter's. And the competition at that time was relatively small in Trinidad. Um, you know, uh, run by a fabulous woman who operated a restaurant here. And we, it's a small country of 1.3 million people. So she would handpick the delegates to participate in the local leg of the competition. And then whomever won, you went on. It was only 12 women, young women competing at my time. And we were at the wedding of a friend when I was in university. Uh, and I said, and he said to me, you know, Wendy, you should really do Mishunad and Tobago now. And, I, and he had been harassing me for years to do it. And I said, of course, Pete, I will. Because I was having a little champagne and I was dancing up a storm and having a good time. And uh, a few weeks later, I saw my name in the newspaper with a photograph of myself as a finalist in the Mishunad and Tobago competition. Uh, and there was an open call to the media and the public to meet the delegates in the Mishnah and Tobago competition. Well, Janice Whiplash, what? <laughs> like, what? And then I called Peter because I knew he would be the only person to submit my photograph um, and, and, and my information to the organizers of the competition, uh, to the organizer. It was that small at the time here, uh, Kim Sabini. And he said, yes, he did do that. And, um, and I made it uh, to, the, to the finals of the competition and I should show up at Kim's house next Friday. Uh, so the first thing I did, because at this point, I um, how old was I, 23 or 24, somewhere around there. And I am in my final year of law school. And one of my girlfriends who had graduated before me, uh, she was about six years older than I am, so she was practicing law already said to me, Wendy, you are serious. You're about to graduate from your law school. You really think anybody's going to take you seriously if you show up in court when they've seen you in a bikini parading yourself around Port of Spain and the world? So that uh, took me aback. And as I said, I wasn't, I wasn't totally on top of pageants. Fashion, yes, I knew fashion inside out, but not pageants. So I went to the registrar at school, a very stern woman named Miss Rochford, and asked her what she thought about it, because of course this is in the newspaper, everybody knows that I'm a delegate in Mishranan and Tobago now. And Ms. Rashford surprisingly looked at me and said, darling, that's a great opportunity, go for it. <laughs> so I went for a Janice, and that's how I entered Mishranan and Tobago and then Miss Universe. Miss Universe, the Miss Universe competition at which I competed was my second pageant ever in life. When I say and I never attended one before, I didn't pay particular attention to it <laughs> before. 
I showed up at Miss Universe as green as they come. But you know, your life experiences, Janice. But green you means know, you were fresh. Green fresh, means you were fresh. And, and my life experiences prepared me. I now realize in hindsight for that moment, you know, so doing moot court where the law school, the Hewitting Law School, which I attended, would fly judges in from around the Caribbean to do moot court with us. As a law student, it is nerve-wracking to stand up in front of a judge, in front of all of your colleagues, and argue a case that you barely understand. Right? And, and in, in, in so many ways, whether you're dressing for Miss Universe or you're dressing for uh, that jury, you're, you're, you're preparing yourself. Absolutely. To, to make a visual representation before you ever open your mouth. And we know that most circumstances engage people making a visual thought, perspective, That's right. or opinion before they get to even hear a before word. Before they out. hear you. You know, the example I use, and that's such a, an important point you've just made, Janice, that I use all the time when I'm speaking to young people, is Michelle Obama pre- um, becoming the first lady of the United States. Yes. You know, when uh, um, uh, President Obama was running for the presidency in the early, early days, you remember how the media gave her such a hard time? Um, and once Michelle Obama, I think, and, and this is my theory, softened her eyebrows a little bit and, and, and appeared, not that she wasn't always witty, brilliant, fun, because those of us who were fans like me, early o'clock and admirers, um, appreciated her, but I, and I couldn't understand the disconnect. And once her, she presented herself um, in, in a way that was more commercially acceptable to the Joe Public America, all of a sudden, the same things. She changed nothing about her personality. Do a little experiment after our chat. Go back and look at very early videos of Michelle Obama and her expressions and what she said and her wit and her charm and her fun, her joie de vie. Look at that then and look at now on her book tour. There's almost no difference, save and in, uh, except the way she presented herself. You know, her, 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 the way she speaks, her diction, her, her wit, everything is the same. You know, uh, and often to hear you, people have to see you is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. for me, that combination, the, the, the experience of, 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 of um, law school, I um, have all the little tricks to whip myself together quickly. This is almost there. I have mascara on only on my top lashes, but the red lips means that I didn't have time to do anything else. <laughs> Right, right. And you know, I'm so I'm so glad of that because both of us are coming to this conversation natural and comfortable. And yes. I'm sitting here in my library having a conversation with you. Uh, I'm in my happy place. Wherever there are lots of books around me, I'm happy. Yes. You, you know, you've given two really important pieces of advice, Wendy, so far. First of all, you shared the advice that was given to you which translates to our audience, which is, you know, basically people were telling you, go for it, you know, just Absolutely. go for it. Don't worry about the legacy impact that you think people will uh, feel from you deciding to do two things that seem completely opposite, when in effect, you just ha happen to be a kaleidoscopically gifted person. Um, <laughs> and then you also, and then you also talk, uh, and I think we take lesson from your example of Michelle Obama, who you admire, who you said changed nothing about her person and her essence 
it was who was preparing her for camera Absolutely. who made her present in a way that people decided they would listen and have one opinion to or listen having another opinion and we know that um we know that food is like that right you yes. know you present the same cooked meal differently and it can be appetizing or it can be unappealing i Absolutely. think I, I think that both of those give really good perspective for people, a point for, that we already, maybe points we already know, but that is good to reflect back on. What advice would you offer anyone seeking a career in law today? And in particular, what advice do you offer those of us who need to seek legal advice, whether that's from a personal uh, level yes. or as an entrepreneur needing counsel in their business? And, you know, entrepreneurs need counsel for very many different reasons, at least they should engage them from uh, very different reasons but that's right where's your general i mean those are those are loaded questions for you but i'd love you to talk about it well i love those questions uh, those are two very important questions janice which i am really asked so i appreciate it very very much uh and and the first question you asked re someone interested in getting into the legal profession today applies honestly across the board in any profession you have to be very much on top of your game and you have to constantly innovate. The world has moved away from the industrial revolution, right? We all know that um, innovation, creativity is where it's at. Uh, so doing the same thing in a very um, uh, basic, monotonous way will not work moving into the future in any profession. As an attorney, you have to interpret laws differently. You have to be very creative and think outside the box constantly for the, 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 the challenges that your clients will throw your way. And why? Because that's what lawyers do. Lawyers fix problems, <laughs> right? They uh, anticipate often, depending on the area of law you are practicing, uh, problems, and you help your client, particularly business clients, um, get to where they want to go with as little friction as possible. And in today's world, that requires tremendous ingenuity um, and integrity. We're starting to move away from integrity. As a, as a species, and we are going to be whipped back into shape, I think, very quickly in that direction. Um, integrity is so important to everything you do. Um, and for me, what has been my guide in that regard is my instinct. And what my instinct is, is my spiritual self speaking to my physical self. I believe that very, very firmly. If a little twitch in you is saying, mm, uh-uh, it's usually right. That's your spirit talking to the physical you, <laughs> right? Spirit yes. talking to brain and saying, hello, check yourself. And in law particularly, that is very, very important because your clients rely on you to keep them safe. And often in business, your clients will push as hard as they can You'll have clients who will want to operate outside of and just within the parameters of the law. And you, so, so that's a very delicate balance. And what I'm saying here um, is not easy. It's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but that challenge should make the profession even more endearing to you as someone wanting to either get into law or practicing, already practicing law. Because it's that delicate balance of being creative with the law, of being um, open, 
willing to learn new and think differently, but also operating um, within the parameters of what is ethical. That's very, very important for someone, for a practitioner, for someone practicing um, in this profession. And for your clients and for young entrepreneurs, particularly, make friends with a lawyer. If you don't think you have the money now to afford one, most of the successful business people I know, and you are one, uh, but most of them, uh, for one of their children, their ride or die attorney is a, a godparent. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not kidding true, particularly true. in business having a very close um, professional friend uh, who can guide you in that regard who you can have those very difficult to have conversations with whenever uh, in the middle of the night sometimes right um, that's very, very important. And you can save yourself so much time, effort, and money if you don't cut that particular corner as a business. And person. I think, Wendy, you know, while there is a lot of value we can gain uh, from utilizing the internet, I think shortcutting using an actual licensed smart practitioner to help you through circumstances, shortcutting that can wreak a lot of havoc. I mean, people Absolutely. think they can go online and read this or read that, but it really is a very complicated and quite intoxicating in some ways uh, thing to understand that law isn't an isolated thing or an isolated section about this. That That's it can right. feed and spite and international law, since so much is occurring internationally for us by virtue of internet, may That's require right. more than one lawyer to assist you through a circumstance. I I I I take for one moment, Wendy, to share with you that you know we do business with one particular client. We in many countries, exactly. or even in one country the law around, let's say, if it's a labor law, it can be very different from one state to another state. Another, that's so, right. I, so, so I think I'd love you to just talk a little bit about the importance of not, I mean, utilizing the web is great, but not shortcutting the advantage of someone who can manipulate through the complexity of law. That's right. Because, and particularly in business now, uh, you know, the, the international community and, and uh, um, politics or global administration is always a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to catching up in commercial law, particularly, right? The law of business. And as you pointed out, that changes dramatically um, in various jurisdictions. Now, the internet may guide you if you are in California or Louisiana um, you know, a, a basic contract hiring an employee in your home state may be great, but that, you know, the terms of even a simple agreement like that may be very different if you are doing something elsewhere. Um, and, and, and labor law, your, your ability to, to um, uh, conduct business based on your labor practices may change dramatically um, state to state, country to country. There's so many intricacies that uh, involve in 
um, operating transborder, as you know. And the world now um, is transborder, period. It doesn't matter what you're selling, what you're doing, you um, will find yourself in hot water, even as something as seemingly frivolous as an influencer on the in internet. You know, there are certain um, uh, uh, regulations that, you know, may obtain in one jurisdiction that do not in another. So if you uh, physically require to show up in Australia from the US or Trinidad, you know, because you've blown up on the internet doing X, Y, and Z, the requirements for you to do that change dramatically once you get off that screen, <laughs> you know? Right, and it's right. very important for you to know that. You know, and that's what I mean um, by having a, a relationship with someone who has the know-how. And even if they don't have the experience in a, another jurisdiction, they would know how to find it or find the resource you need. And that's, and make, that's very, very important in, in, in today's world. So just as much as an attorney or any other professional has to be willing to adapt, be very nimble, be always learning and, 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 and innovating. As an entrepreneur, you have to as well. You know, the way we did things 10 years ago even has changed dramatically. You know, furthermore, taking it, uh, your, the, the history, the learnings further back. So there are certain principles that stand the test of time that always will, that always hold true. And those laws are changing as but well. Then, the, and having, thought, yes, correct. Having, but, legal, having legal advice can be very helpful there. We absolutely. can let's go back to 1998 when you won sure. the title of Miss Universe. You were the <laughs> second Miss Universe from Trinidad and Tobago. That's right. And the third woman of African heritage to win the title. Take us back to that time. And what did it feel like, girl, to win Miss Universe? What, what was your life like immediately <laughs> after that? It, my life changed dramatically, uh, Janice, the moment that crown was placed on my head. Um, one, you really do become, you know, the queen of the universe in many places across this planet and certainly to the company. I have to say that my experience working for the Miss Universe organization was amazing and continues to be. As a matter of fact, just two weeks ago, I was in New Orleans judging Miss Universe. Um, and I've done so four times since. I've maintained a tremendous relationship with the company. Uh, many of the persons who were just starting their careers when I won are now running <laughs> the organization. It has changed hands a few times, but we are still very much a community. My country went nuts, <laughs> right? And the Caribbean. And, um, and I must say... Uh, the African diaspora and the African continent generally. Now, as you said, I was the first, uh, the, the, the first uh, woman to win, black woman to win Miss Universe during the, the, the explosion of the internet, as it were. So uh, Janelle Commission, the Trinidadian who won in 1977, won it at a time when we couldn't even see her show live in real time, <laughs> you know? Um, we, we got the broadcast after the fact. Um, and then uh, Chelsea Smith, who is a biracial American, won in the early 90s. Um, and Chelsea, a beautiful Texan, very popular, did not identify as Black herself, uh, very much identified as mixed race. Um, 
So my win, I, 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 there was a, it was a combination of things, you know, in the heads of the global community, not um, the United States and certainly not um, to take any way, anything away from Chelsea, saw me as the second black woman, one. And, and because I am not, um, I am a black woman, like, look at me, <laughs> you know, a dark skinned black woman and very proudly so. Um, highly melanated and rocking it <laughs> you know? uh, and, and because so much of the world looks like me um, and, and so much of the world that did not see themselves represented in anything that is aspirational and beautiful um, to this day you know when I travel to the African continent or to Latin America or to Asia even we don't even realize how many dark-skinned people Black uh, 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 people there are in, in there or, um, you know, the Philippines or Thailand or because that's not what those countries present to the world generally. But they, those, they're, they're huge. You know, the Brazilians love me still. They have not forgotten. And that yeah, we even think about when we even think about and with Queen Elizabeth recently passing. Yes. Um, and, and, and the conversation started to come to fore for those who've not thought about it before, how much of the British crown with, is populated with people with rich skin tones, yes. you know? Um, and, and when Harry met Meghan, you yes. know, how, how the impact of that still happened. So when you think about even just, you know, short of a year, how people are still being amazed in 1998, for you, right. yes, I get that the that 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 the rich African diaspora would be so celebrating yeah. of that. Um, it had every, to. Have... It was remarkable from the perspective that, and I think it's because I was the first title holder to to wear the crown after the internet blew up internationally. So in the yeah. U.S., the internet started to take off in 1995. Yes. Uh, 1997 was when it started to really um, infiltrate the rest of the planet. So by 1998, like I was the first uh, Miss Universe um, for whom there were like online, um, uh, what do you call it? Like bets gaming. Yes. <laughs> um, a whole gaming operation, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And, and the world was able to live my year with me in real time. So unlike, you know, in the past where you would do an interview on American television or in Thailand or wherever, and you would see it, a, a delayed uh, broadcast or, or of that um, particular interview or appearance, the world lived my year with me in real time. So if I was doing Politically Incorrect in those days with Bill Maher, if I was on E, the, the, the world lived it in real time. And I think that's why... Um, you know, my, I maintain a, a, a high level of popularity globally, even though I, to, to me, I've done nothing since that um, warrants the kind of attention uh, that I get internationally. Um, but I think it's largely because of that. It's because I was the first recognizable face in the beauty space right after the internet blew up internationally. And it has been tremendous i mean there are like everything else in life as you know janice there are wonderful things about it and there are not <laughs> i choose to well, focus yeah, on the wonderful does. things about the experience <laughs> well one of the things so, so much of it is wonderful and i think in so yes. many 
is also an equalizer for people who have had inequities in their lives and their communities. Um, here's and in our communities, here is something that um, that was quoted uh, from you after winning, and I, I I'd love for our family to hear you speak on it. Looking backwards, you said then. My goal will be to impress upon women that their struggle should not be for superiority over men, but for equality to fulfill our God-given task of bringing up children, the future of the human race, together. You said that back then. That. Look back and tell us now. Would you still say that? And where was your mind then? So I would still say that. Um, and because I firmly believe that the sexes uh, should work together as we are meant to. Um, that's why it takes two of us to produce, right? <laughs> to reproduce. Otherwise, either sex would be able to do it on their own, right? Is that not so? Um, that said, the responsibility is not solely that of women. Um, and I believed that back then, and I believe that now this responsibility is of both sexes. So when I speak to raising our families, raising our kids to be whole human beings, that responsibility for me has always resided with both sexes. Um, we, as we often do um, as a species, when we... Uh, uh, oppress or um, stifle the growth of a, 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 a section, a segment of our society, we can sometimes go overboard in correcting. But we eventually, so we go to the other extreme, but we eventually find our way back to the center, to a place that is not center so much as harmony, um, to a harmonious place where we are allowing ourselves to exist in of uh, as we are fully does that make sense to you it does it does and you know today wendy even on just the surface of it let's think about this how people self-identify including gender identification is a part of our lives in a very full way and That's when right. we look at when we look at the world of beauty and fashion Oftentimes, we're seeing how to elevate our esteem in ourselves by seeing ourselves represented to, through beautiful people like you. Exactly. When I was growing up, I saw Diane Carroll on a television show called Julia after I yes. was uh, at teenage. I, and, and before that, every depiction I'd seen of a Black person, when rarely I did get the chance to see them, was as a maid. So Julia was the first woman I saw in a white uniform doing a professionally paid job. Yes. When you Do you see your position on the raising of children being fluent also in how Absolutely. fashion and beauty are able to impact us about how we see ourselves as I mentioned, especially where we now have people who can openly, without um, without the the the, the hidden uh, 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 feelings they had about self-identifying, especially around gender. Absolutely. So, um, and I want to be very clear on on, on this. When it comes to 
showing up as our full selves, that I am 120 at least <laughs> percent in support of. Um, I have so many um, friends who are either gender fluid um, or who are very um, sure of their um, who are uh, who relate who are uh, uh, gay male or female who are raising beautiful families themselves and I'm very um, what is the right word the point I'm trying to make is that should be for me a non-issue it's the when I speak when I spoke then and I speak now it's the um, sometimes uh and, and what I have found, and, and, and Janice, your audience, uh, and, and your, your family, you may differ in, in, in this regard, but I have found that particularly amongst a uh, um, gay community, that that desire to oppress one or the other partner in a relationship is not as pronounced as it is, for example, from my part of the world, where I come from. We, was, we have been still struggling with the man-woman rule to a large extent. The US is much further evolved than we are in that regard in terms of um, uh, same-sex couples raising children, et cetera. Now that is not to say that that does not exist in the Caribbean too, uh, that you have same-sex couples having kids and raising healthy whole families, but it is not as prevalent. When I speak uh, in uh, that quotation you read was specifically about the man-woman relationship and some of the difficulties we face in our part of the world and in the, the so-called developing world. Um, some of the practices that exist not only here but in many of the places I traveled to during that year um, were very, very draconian and, and are still um, and in and, and and often some of the 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 oppression that women faced and continue to face um because of cultural norms largely um are handed down not by the men of the society, the men may dictate the pace, but by other women. <laughs> you know? Um and I'm, I speak specifically now about things like female genital mutilation, which is a real issue that I dealt with tremendously at that time. And up to 2017, on my last trip to East Africa, I was still interfacing with young women who unfortunately had to experience that as a rite of passage. So th th that quotation deals specifically with those kinds of dynamics. Um, where I come from in the Caribbean, we have women leaders who are, you know, um, presidents of our, our, our countries. My current president is a woman. Um, the prime minister of Barbados is a woman. You know, uh, my former prime minister is a woman. Um, but often none of those women have healthy or, or, or openly healthy relationships with men, save and except my um, former Kamala Prasad Bissessa and her husband is highly accomplished in his own right, a doctor, etc. She was an attorney. Um, but most, more times, more often than not, our men are not equipped um, to deal with a 
um, highly successful professional woman. So that quotation was strictly in the context of that dynamic. Um, but to your point, I firmly believe that um, human beings should be, you know, so one of, you know, and, and I live it. I don't have to demonstrate it only in my words because I live it. My friends run the gamut. I have a son um, who is now 16. Um, I have friends who are gay, straight, and otherwise. And the two couples, when my son was younger, that I trust um, completely with my child outside of my family were a couple in, uh, um, who live in California, um, whom I've known forever, a gay couple who have the healthiest relationship <laughs> of, of most of the married people I know. And I mean that very sincerely. They've been together now for 30 years and I trust them 120. I met them as a couple. Very, very solid. And th that's when my son was younger. And now one of the few places he can go without me or his dad. And, um, and vacation. And then another couple in Trinidad who were the traditional husband and wife couple. Man, woman. Um, Cynthia and Joe. Uh, with for, with whom I trust him com uh, completely, be spending time in their company, vacationing with them, etc. Um, so I, when I live that um, that understanding and appreciating human beings for who they are, period. I don't define uh, people, and I don't think anyone should by their sexual preference. Um, that's an important, but one facet of who we are as human beings, you know. And, and whether that is sexual preference or gender identification, correct. Uh, it is. It is important. I think that you had the opportunity to uh, expand on that and to bring that uh, to where we are in uh, 2023. You did Absolutely. mention that the United States. Uh, may be in advance of some other nations in terms of this. Uh, there are many here who would say our laws are in advance, but our compliance still has great issues. So, That's right. so, so thank you for that, Wendy. Well, we are behind <laughs> in both law <laughs> well, and, with and, you, and compliance to some extent. With, with We're behind we our laws. Yeah, our with compliance you, with, is a little further along even than our laws. With you and many like you, I'm sure we are addressing that as well and have have a better tomorrow than we do today. But you know, me, Janice, I have to ask you, don't you find it um, uh, by living and living openly your truth? So I've learned not only children, but human beings are much better at following your example of doing as you do as opposed to doing what you see. Right. Well, that is why it's so, that is, that is why I think you have such an incredibly important platform and why I wanted your voice as well as your work to be hosted in this uh, conversation we're having because, you know, we get our images and we get our ideals uh, from the media so often. But media may follow, it can all, it oftentimes does guide. I, as you may, as you may well remember, Wendy, uh, I was gonna say am married because in my heart, Bernie is still present with me to a white European male, a very, very British uh, white European male. And he shared two things with me. One, he shared with me 
the Disney that even when we married, as late as when we married in the 1970s, that uh, it would still be difficult, if not illegal, for us to travel as a married couple to some places in the world. Uh, the other thing he shared with me was more idealistic and more hopeful. He shared with me how music um, does uh, change the world. And we saw, we see oftentimes in the fellowship to We Are the World through artists like Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie and artists who many have their own faults, but collectively were brilliant in how they sought to lift the world forward yes. and bring attention to places that needed attention. Um, the Beatles, he said, you know, you know, you you know them as those mop heads who came over when you were too young to pay attention. I knew them as social justice heroes. He said, we didn't label it that way. My husband uh, was, you know, 20 years older than I, I am. And he said he grew up and the Beatles were heroes to them. They were stars to the rest of the world, but they really helped to break down some of the caste system of England, where England certainly has the opportunity and the United Kingdom and its crown has the opportunity and gains advantage of that quote unquote advantage of that opportunity to express racism. He said in his small community in Northern England, everybody was white and practically everyone was Norman Saxon, uh, but it was a caste system, a class system that distinguished them. And it was a very yes. hard earned exit if you happen to be on the lower end of the caste. And so when I see you and your work, Wendy, I get very excited about your ability to change, to, to impress, or even if you don't change circumstances change minds that then teach to change circumstances. One of the goals, as a matter of fact, that you listed during that 1998 pageant we were talking about was toward the unity of the West Indies. Now, when you look yes. 25 years later, how do you see what's going on today in the West Indies compared to how it's been in the past years? We've Actually, re-unification uh, uh, made some serious progress, thank goodness, but um, our politics, as usual, um, is playing catch-up. So we do have, you know, what we call CARICOM, which is our equivalent of the European uh, Union, and it allows us uh, mobility, re-working uh, um, in each other's jurisdictions and that kind of thing. Oh, you know, we are a trading block, um, but practically... We have a long way to go. Uh, and West Indians um, are very uh, keen and open. The internet has certainly made it much easier for us to relate to each other, interface with each other. Um, we enjoy each other's festivals, but uh, traveling to these islands is very difficult. You know, It's easier for me to buy a swimsuit from an Israeli designer, for example, and get it delivered to me in Trinidad via Amazon than it is... To, to buy a swimsuit from Barbados, which is a 45-minute flight away. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's true for everybody. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we do have um, a way to go still, but we are young in terms of our independence um, from you know the colonial powers that rule these islands relatively. None of us are over 
um, 70 years old. I think we're all around 60, between uh, 55 and 65 years old, these islands. Um, so our politicians My enjoy goodness, flexing their your, muscle. Your, your, your country is younger than I am. <laughs> <laughs> Janice, you look absolutely fabulous. You should scream that from the mountaintop. Well, 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 no, no, Wendy, you know, look, you and I both, I know that everybody's heard uh, Black Don't Crack. Or as my mom says, my mom says, well taken care of Black Don't Crack. Uh, but, 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 but I think I think that you and I can redefine what 70 looks like. People have their own minds about what that absolutely. should look like. Absolutely. And uh, uh, this is one thing I will toot the horn of my people here. And that is the people of the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, like the people of Brazil, I think. And, and it's largely because of our carnival culture. Because for at least three months of the year, from uh, the day after Christmas, which we call Boxing Day, until um, what you would call in New Orleans Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, um, uh, Carnival Tuesday for us, we have to to be cute right? <laughs> <laughs> our costumes are tiny janice tiny 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 lots of feathers on our heads and off our backs and fabulous wings and things but on our bodies nothing a bra <laughs> sometimes pasties right? yes 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 and a, and a few tassels hanging elsewhere and we do that and literally until we no longer have life in our body. The last well, time you I know, put on a costume, she was 76 <laughs> years old. She's now 85. Oh, so, like Le Josephine. Like Le Josephine. Yeah. Like Josephine like Baker. Like Josephine Baker. <laughs> yeah. So or or or, or like Whitney. <laughs> or oh, like Whitney. <laughs> Wendy will be there. Wendy will be there one day. You you know, Wendy, you do lead me to uh to a thought though. You work as a host and you work as a judge for many international pageants, and you're the executive producer for Caribbean's next top model. That's Do you right. think your experience winning the title of Miss Universe in 1998 helps you have a different approach compared to other judges? And I ask you that because you didn't have a lot of experience modeling, as you've just shared with us. Yes. Your experience was more in owning yourself and the confidence that you had and the knowledge you had and the fear you had do you how do you use your personal experience to guide and coach those competitors so that each one of them leaves with a win in life whether or not they win the crown that's a really great question and you're very right all of us see the world through our experiences um, so having been through it myself um, my approach uh, is always um, yes, to find the young lady, particularly when I'm judging um, um, pageants, um, to find the young lady who is most prepared and most ready to step into that role, but never, never, never to break anyone. Mm -hmm. Never, never, never uh, to break any of the other young ladies, because always there can only be one winner in a, in, in, in a competition such as that. And um, often you don't have the opportunity uh, particularly the final round level, if you're judging at that level, which I often am to give um, advice to everyone individually. Uh, but when I do the preliminary competitions, as I did for Universe just a few weeks ago, um, and the final competition, the interview round, which is like speed dating, I always try 
um, to make sure that the young ladies leave my panel feeling whole, right? Yes. Even yes. if they are nervous, I spend an extraordinary amount of time putting them at ease because we are often looking for someone who is comfortable in her own skin. And if a young lady shows up who is not or who has been drilled into being a particular way, this is the way you do this. I try to find the essence of that young woman. And often four minutes is enough to do it. Within three minutes, you can get a good sense, particularly if the person is wildly nervous, get a good sense of who they are, break the ice a little bit. And, uh, and then just before they leave me, share with a, 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 share a little tidbit as to how to maintain that. That's authenticity is very, very important in that space. Because particularly at that level, at the universe level, at your national competition level, everybody is gorgeous. What sets you apart is you. You know, no one can be a better Wendy than I am me. No one can be a better Janice. I can't do Janice better than Janice does Janice. <laughs> you know? Well, let me ask you something, Wendy. You know, when we say uh, Miss Universe pageant, we think beauty pageant. Is it still a beauty pageant? And if so, is it a beauty pageant in the legacy way? I mean, you certainly have thoughts and feelings about the 2023 Miss Universe pageant. And this was the first year with an all-female selection committee. Yes. Do you think that makes the panel look in any notable way at the essence of beauty today? Uh, so I think because we... Um, the, 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 the essence of the pageant is still there. Um, and the pageant, the Miss Universe organization has evolved just like the role of women in society has evolved over the years. Uh, so the ownership is new of um, Miss Universe. Uh, the uh, focus coming out of the last few years where we the, the, the planet generally started by the U.S. primarily in terms of respecting. So our role changed as women in society. You know, when Miss Universe started in the 50s, women were seen largely and not heard. Um, you, your whole goal in life was to marry well and be the perfect wife. And even though many of us still would like to do that, right? <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> There's not one way to be. Um, and the pageant now celebrates that, that there is not one way to be. So we, there is not an exclusion of what came before. There is inclusion of more. And when there is inclusion of more, you can feel sometimes some, some of the fans of the pageant feel like they're losing something and you're not losing anything. We're just adding more to the pot. We've gotten a bigger pot. <laughs> well, you talk, adding about, more. you talk about that bigger pot and doing things differently. Certainly you've done things differently than the legacy Miss Universe would have done. I mean, let's let, let let's think about this. You wrote a book, Letters to Island, when yes. your son was approaching three years of age. In yes. the book, Wendy, you talk about your choice to become and remain a single mother. That's right. Why did this need to become a book? And what inspired you to write to your son? Oh, so Janice, be pre um, my son and pre my pregnancy. By the way, uh, I think everybody should read the book. 
let me just do do a shout out to the book. Okay. <laughs> yes. So and and I will and letters to Elon, which literally is that a series of letters to my son. Um, about my experience becoming a mom. I chose to become a single mother uh, because I was in my mid-30s at the time, a professional, very ready to have a family. And, I, and his, both his dad and I felt that we were ready. He, his father for another child, when I met him, he was a single um, father, divorced, raising his firstborn from his marriage. Um, and... I knew in my heart that he was not ready uh, for marriage, but we were both ready for, for well, to start our families. And now this is very odd about me because I'm very traditional in some ways and in others I am not. And it comes back to my upbringing and my, the fierce way in which my parents raised me. So my mom is a very traditional Catholic. Like, you know, she was not happy about me having a child outside of wedlock initially. Like, oh. And my father, and, and I guess because I... Um, and they were married 10 years before they had you. And they were married for 10 years before they had me. And so, so uh, but my father, um, in this regard, and, and perhaps a little bit more evolved because he was so protective of both my sister and I, um, but always a little bit renegade and, and a, a, a little bit more open-minded than mom in that regard and that's probably why I chose to tell him about my pregnancy first if you read the book <laughs> you know um I told my dad before my mom which to this day she has a hard time accepting right um and, and, and because I knew he would be much more he was ready for a grandkid so the first thing he said to me when I told him I was pregnant was great you know you don't have to marry that guy <laughs> You marry him if you want to, but you don't have to marry him. And because my father is my hero, and I'm, I, I, I actually just lost my dad, Janice. I'm exceptionally was it. So I have a very hard time um, you, you saying, speaking of him in the past tense, like you do your husband, because daddy was my wing man yeah. up until last week, Monday. <laughs> like we did. Yes everything together i partied yes. with him the first time i had too much to drink was with him purposely he wanted to make sure the first time i got intoxicated was with him so nobody could ever take advantage of me i'd understand what it felt like and i would move on i mean like just like the most amazing relationship um but that said uh i knew that um i would be i would want to raise elon um with his father and in community my son must not be denied um, the opportunity to know his dad and his da dad's family very well, um, and certainly mine and my village, as I call it. Um, so Elon is a very well-adjusted kid, loves his both parents to death. And let me tell you, it was not easy. <laughs> well, it's not easy for anyone. It's not easy for anyone. We, what, but, your... we went through our paces, but we <laughs> always kept our son topmost in um, our mind and our interactions with each other, particularly with him, you know? Wendy, what is your favorite piece of advice from your book, if any? Ooh, to be honest um, with our children. Let's Both pause on that for a minute. Let, yeah. let, 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 let's pause on that for a minute because 
so many adults who are seeking psychological or psychiatric or emotional health counsel stem many of their issues back from things they felt weren't honest in their childhood. Absolutely. Um, that's powerful advice. Do you plan to write another book now? <laughs> yes, I absolutely will. I absolutely, I, as I say to my friends all the time, I'm living book two. No. <laughs> well, I can but hardly wait for it. Because uh, I want to tie the pieces together, Janice. Like I've had such an amazing experience and you never know how things come back and how people circle back into your life. You know, the universe is very precise. And I think if we are open to it and all of its blessings, it works itself out. Once you have that drive, that focus, um, and when I say that drive, that focus, you may not know, know exactly what you want to do professionally. You may not know exactly where life is going to take you, but once you are focused on being authentic to you, it, it works itself out. You know, interruptions can 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 teach us so much about ourselves. We talked earlier about uh, COVID, um, yes. and you know, you became involved with the HIV/AIDS education and awareness. And the early days of that, I remember, were filled with not only confusion but many times lies or or oh. fears or fears people had, and uh, it was thought of as the gay disease. And then we That's learned right. it was a family disease and a community disease. Um, talk about your work uh, with HIV AIDS, although we've grown a lot. We have, and we've thank achieved God. A lot. But talk we do it with every work. new, that, um, that the, the, the stigmatization of, 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 of persons um, with many diseases. We used to do it with cancer before um, yes. AIDS. We did it with so many I remember many Betty Ford was the first person to step up in a broad way. And it talk about breast cancer. Correct. As if it was your you fault in some way you were bad. And because in our part of the world, unlike Europe, um, AIDS was largely a sexually transmitted disease. It was not as a result of intravenous drug use, but a sexually transmitted disease. You know, there's so many taboos around sex in our communities across the planet. We love having it. It's such a big part of who we are as human beings. It's a, a, a tremendous force, as a, otherwise we would not be here. But many, for many of us, our faith teaches us that sex is dirty or ugly or something that you only do to procreate, which we know is absolutely not true, <laughs> right? Because we talk the talk, but I have yet to meet a human being who walks that walk, <laughs> right? Wow. <laughs> Okay. Wow, Wendy. Uh, <laughs> uh, so because it was a sexually transmitted disease, um, the stigma was even greater because you were perceived as loose, dirty, naughty in some way if you contracted uh, HIV and, 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 and ultimately uh, AIDS. And um, my introduction uh, to HIV started very early, very early in the pandemic. I was still in high school um, in the, in the uh, mid-1980s, dating myself. <laughs> in the mid-1980s, when HIV um, started to take off again across the world. And I lost a couple of very good friends in the arts <clears throat> to 
uh, uh, AIDS. And we didn't understand it in the Caribbean. Nobody spoke about it, you know? Those that were tuberculosis or this person got very ill for X, Y, and Z. And I didn't even know what AIDS was. And while I was um, a delegate in the Mishranad and Tobago competition, <clears throat> one of the young men who happened to be very close to the, our national director, um, his father, who and ironically um, was, was a staunch Catholic, headed the Society of St. Vincent de Paul in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a Catholic in, um, organization that takes care of the poor and the elderly in, in, in the various parishes globally. He ran the Trinidad chapter, started a home for children living with AIDS um, who were orphaned. Nobody knew about this home in Trinidad at the time. We're talking about now mm -hmm. 1997. Mm -hmm. No one knew this home even existed because it was so taboo here. If the neighbors where the society had set up this home knew that these children were living with HIV, they would have insisted that the home be shut down and run them out of the community. Um, so Robert, God bless him, asked the, the delegates, not as part of our competition, he had just become friends with a few of us, to visit the home. And I visited that home that afternoon and we had no medication, nothing at that time to care for people living with HIV. It was a place with AIDS, sorry, it was a place for people to die with dignity, for these kids to die with dignity. And I visited that home and as children do because their parents were no longer with us, family didn't want them. The caregivers were amazing. These women were not just there to provide a meal, but they cared for these children as their own. And they were so sweet and loving. And I just fell in love with a couple of them. And I was in my final year at law school at the time. And my law school was not far from the home. And the home didn't have any permanent transportation. None of the staff had transportation or vehicle. And I drove. I had a car. Um, so I would go to the home if any of the kids needed to be run to the hospital or anything like that. Or if they needed to run out and pick up anything. I just started to spend a lot of time at that home before I competed in the Trinidad and Tobago. And, you know, it bothered me the way even our nurses would treat the children at, at the time, very differently to the other children at the, uh, uh, at the hospital, you know, at, on, the, on the AIDS ward, as we call it, and because they had AIDS. Everybody was afraid to touch them, et cetera. And I knew, we knew at this point that this disease could not um, be transmitted by just physical contact. We knew this. And yet there was still so much stigma attached. Um, and uh, so I was doing this very quietly. And one of our only in those days, paparazzi in Trinidad, this one photographer who worked with, he was a, a freelancer for all of our daily newspapers. We had three daily newspapers and four um, weekly newspapers, the, the more uh, tabloidy. And he um, photographed for oil. And because I was, I, I, and so months later, I become Mr. Trinidad and Tobago, about a month before I leave the country to go to Miss Universe in Hawaii, he lives on the same street. I didn't know this as mm. this home. And he saw me going into the home. So he took pictures of me going in and I just paused like, hi, Andre. And I went my merry way. But he did his homework and found out what the home was about. And he wanted to publish a story on it. And I begged him not to do it. Because I knew what that would have meant for the children at the home who were now um, interacting with the kids next door. Because this was this home is in a community, you know. Yes. Um, and I begged him not to do it. And he made a deal with me. He said, okay, I won't publish anything. I won't publish these pictures. 
But if you win Miss Universe, we're going to have to tell everybody. And mm. I was like, I took the deal. I said, sure, Andre, what are the chances of me winning Miss Universe? One in 85. Wow. So I, um, I said, sure. And he didn't publish the story he was planning to sell to, to the newspapers. And a month later, I win Miss Universe. <laughs> <laughs> and he, of course, ran with the story and the resident representative for the United Nations in Trinidad used it as an opportunity because he, he did this story about the fact it wasn't just that oh, Wendy visits these kids. He's like, Wendy has been visiting these kids forever. Um, you know, she has a, a great relationship with these children. And, and I, I used it as an opportunity when I came home from my homecoming to ask the media who were delightful and, the, and our corporate um, citizens, the companies in Trinidad were all doing these full page advertisements in the newspaper. Congratulations to our girl, Wendy, drink whatever. Congratulations to our girl, Wendy, buy your furniture at. And I asked the, 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 our companies um, to, to, I appreciated very much the love they were expressing, but if they could take the money they were spending on ads celebrating me, or at least match the money they were spending on ads, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars they were spending on ads celebrating me. If they can match that, every ad they run, put that money um, uh, uh, the equivalent towards the Cyril Ross nursery for these kids. And, um, and that's where it started. That's how I created my foundation because the, the organization started to write checks to me as opposed to the home. So I needed to organize it. And, you know, and it allows you to make sure that the money is going fully to the cause you support. Absolutely, absolutely. I and, think that's um, so beautiful. So and that's how the, it, it started. And, and, and I lived it. You know, these kids, so one of my prizes as Miss Universe was 10,000 US dollars, which is a lot of money in 1990 worth mm -hmm. of Sprint phone cards. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't have international mobiles then. Our mobiles worked where we were generally. You had to have a satellite mm -hmm. phone to be able to... Mm -hmm roam the planet with a mobile phone in those days and it was as huge as a brick <laughs> and as right. heavy as a brick um, right. so sprint was one of my sponsors and they gave me um phone cards and all of the companies that universe that sponsored the miss universe pageant i asked them to to, to meet um the spend they were spending on me by contributing to this home and many of them stepped up to the plate and they did it um, that and that's beautiful. where it started. And, and, you know, so the first place, like my son was born in the United States because his dad um, is, uh, lives in the U.S. And, um, and I, I lived in the U.S. for a period of time. And the first place we visited when we returned to Trinidad was the Cyril Ross Nursery, was a home for these children living with uh, AIDS. Um, and I also started a program to bring in the medication, the antiretroviral drugs. I remember uh, Magic Johnson had just come out as HIV positive at the time as well. And the UN had made me a goodwill ambassador. And my um, high commissioner during my year, the, uh, the consul general to the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago based in New York, um, asked me, he had a little party for me for my birthday because I was in New York at the time. And he asked me at the party what I want for my birthday and be as frivolous as you want, Wendy. Me and the people of Trinidad will give you whatever you want. And I was like, well, ding, 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 because I had met with the, 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 the pharmaceutical company that was pre making the antiretrovirals. And at that time, it cost about $5,000 a month for, um, for, the, for the drugs for these kids. So I said to him, 
I want you to get me the same drugs Magic Johnson is on for my children. Yes. 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 <laughs> and my birthday is early October. Yes. And he was like, he was like, he's like, I thought you would want like a, you know, a beautiful piece of jewelry or something. I was like, no, no, no. I want the antiretroviral drugs that Magic is on. I want the best. Whatever he's oh, Wendy, getting, I want for my kids. Wendy, Wendy, <laughs> Wendy, Wendy. But you, Janice, know. you know, and this is what I mean by the universe. Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you want something badly enough, you work at it, conspires to get it for you. He found a way. So my birthday is October 4th. By January of the next year, he called me to his office and introduced me to a young woman who had set up an NGO in New York City of Trinidadian parentage, who was collecting the antiretroviral drugs that persons in the New York area could not use. Because, you know, it was a combination of drugs. You had to take a cocktail of drugs yes. in the early days. And, um, and if it didn't work, the, these um, clinics would give you a six-month supply of your drugs, and then you can't use it, but the clinic can't. And it's not expired. So she would take the unexpired medication and send it to Latin America. And she's like, I don't know. I didn't know of an organization in the Caribbean doing this. I said, well, my home does it. And so we had a wonderful meeting at his office. And we didn't have even the infrastructure um, to ship medication to the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. But he made it happen. Mm -hmm. Our first few shipments, and I hope I don't get in trouble for this, went in his diplomatic bag. <laughs> right? Well, we got you know a pediatric doctor. A, a Trinidadian again, who was um, educated in the United States, running a, a, a clinic and hospital system in Brooklyn, New York, to come and train our doctors. And this went on for 10 years. He would come every six weeks, work with our nurses, work with our doctors and conduct clinics. And that just happened because I said, for my birthday, I want the drugs magic is on. Well, and we let's a pray. Whole Listen, system, a whole girl. clinic system developed as a result, as a result of that. We we have to pray and stay that you have many more birthdays because you continuously, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I know we're having fun and like, you know, I'm feeling this sister love for you so strong, uh, this mother love for you so strong. But, you know, you're not only a stunningly beautiful woman, you're incredible incredibly beautiful person you've done this work with hiv aids and we are we're posting your book as well as your foundation because each of them are so valuable to people we you've also been appointed as red cross ambassador for youth for the caribbean and you've worked with organizations promoting the development of diversity in your country what is your vision for the future of trinidad and tobago on the world stage and what thoughts do you have about the Caribbean region as a whole? Ooh. So my thoughts now, uh, uh, re my country is, uh, or my wish rather Janice for my country is that we continue to innovate and evolve. We are as a country at Trinidad and Tobago specifically getting a little bit lazy We've done very well. We've had energy resources and, um, and not much of it, but enough and enough innovation. We were the first country in, the, in this hemisphere to commercialize natural gas. When everybody else was flaring gas to get to oil, America, Canada, Venezuela, everybody else, we turned it into something to, to generate electricity and, 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 and as a feedstock for, for other petrochemicals and blah, blah. 
Um, and that innovation carried through to other things we do, our food processing, etc. I am seeing now a, a, a malaise setting in with my people. And I really want us to get over that. We are innovating in other uh, areas. And I want us now with the same enthusiasm and gusto, we developed our energy sector and our light manufacturing sector to develop our innovation, you know, our animation sector, our fashion industry. There's so much that we do well um, that we are not as aggressively pursuing. And, and what that will do, because when it comes to the culture, I mean, we have a little song that goes, I don't mean to be bossy, but your car party like way. Because we have a good time. We know how to have a good time. We know how to celebrate each other. I'm not worried about that aspect of us. We incorporate our faith into our party, into that we have on lock, right? What we do not have on lock and which worries me is our economic development to ensure that our society continues to grow and we don't have a brain drain. We don't have people like my son and his peers leaving and never coming back. That I'm worried about. Well, well, so, you mentioned a little bit about animation and the. I, I'd love you to tell our family a bit about TTAP. That's the Tamana Technology yes. Animation Production Factory. Now, as I understand it, it's an animation hub, which I think may be so so cool. So what are you doing with TTAP? Oh, Janice, you've done your homework. <laughs> well, I told you I'm a fan of yours. And, you know, Wendy, for you to make such an, an outstanding impact, not just in Trinidad and Tobago, but the whole world. I mean, you yourself talked about the advantage of the Internet and how it yeah. launched your crown differently than it did the two before you. This is an opportunity for you to talk about that because you don't talk about yourself. You are always talking about the work that others can do that you've learned about and how to move that forward. And so if, if you don't mind, I really would love you to just talk about that a little bit. I would be happy to because I'm very excited, um, you know, by that project for which I um, started consulting a few years ago. Um, the University of Trinidad and Tobago has an animation program now for the last 15 years. It's been doing very well training animators. And what um, Tap Factory does is um, we are an animation hub, an animation studio that provides support to the industry internationally. So we are now um, creating and making money for our, for our nationals. Um, creating we, and earning money. Creating earning money. Earning. Don't start making, making it. Yes, we're <laughs> earning it. You've, thank you for that correction. That's a very important <laughs> correction. And earning money. Um, we, you know, we do have a couple of small uh, animation studios here that do very well um, internationally with the right clients. Uh, but we want to make sure that there is more of that and that those studios are able to blossom and grow and take advantage of some of the big opportunities internationally. Now, again, our background as a very technically sound savvy uh, culture, we are English speaking, we are on you know the same time as the Eastern Seaboard of the United States for most of the year, um, but we, we're technical and very creative. And that's a winning combination for animation. Um, and so, so we do animation very, very well. Um, our clients now come out of the uh, Far East, 
primarily and out of India. Um, and we are slowly making our way back to our part of the world, building our strengths, our capabilities so that we can tackle um, the big companies directly. Because right now, the outsourcers outsource us, which is how you build credibility, which is how you build, um, you know, because the talent is one thing. But as you know, building a business, you have to have um, the rigor, particularly in an industry like animation, where there's no room for mistakes and the, um, and, 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 and the ability to turn work around 24-7 on a dime efficiently. Very, very important. We are there now, I'm happy to say. So we are working on some very, very exciting projects. Um, I am what I call a glorified sales girl to a large extent, but also structuring the deals we've done, structuring the studio, both from, the, um, from our incoming clients internationally, but also from the animators, the, the, the young animators here, creating the content locally to push out and creating interesting stories about us, not only Trinidad and Tobago, but the wider Caribbean. Um, to push out to the wider world because if it's one thing about my part of the world that um, we can do a little bit better is present ourselves and that's why top model was so important that's why this animation um uh, project i'm so excited about as well um, well it's caribbean is often interpreted janice by somebody else looking in there is very little content of us pushing ourselves out you know the world doesn't see us as we see ourselves. The world sees us as the world sees us. <laughs> but yes. you know, our stories, our, our, our dialect, our pikong, as we say, um, you know, which is the way we tease each other. Mm -hmm. That's pikong. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, quite universal and quite fun. So everybody knows reggae. Everybody knows Bob Marley and Dan Sol and Sean Paul and Shaggy. You know, but you may you, you may not know the names of some of the Calypsonians and Soka artists who come out of the region, but you know their music, hot, hot, hot. You know? Yeah. One of the biggest songs of all time. <laughs> who Let the Dogs Out? That was a big hit for yeah. Carnival in Trinidad before it was purchased by, you know, the, the manager of that Bohemian um, group, the Bahamut. And there's so much more, you know, and there are fun stories behind our music, behind our food, you know, the origin of jerk chicken and jerk fish, you know, there's like a wicked story behind that with the maroons of Jamaica, etc. that I think the world would enjoy hearing and understanding. So that's the other aspect of what we are doing at Tap Factory, creating stories to push out to the rest of the world. Well, I think it's just incredible. I mean, these last few years of quarantines and isolation have fueled many of us to rethink our priorities and um, the innovation you speak to that you wish for your part of the world is certainly coming out of the work that you're doing in those organizations you value, Wendy. Are there any things you've shifted your thinking about for yourself and or the world uh, over the last oh, yes. few years due to the last few years, I may even say. Ask. Absolutely. Uh, my shifting has changed my, my thought processes. What is important to me um, has uh, definitely shifted um, post pandemic and during the pandemic. Uh, I always valued family, but I value um, family and my relationships and my experiences so much more. Things are lovely, but not nearly as important <laughs> as, 
as they were pre-pandemic. Um, you know, I, I, when Jane Fonda said- oh, Wendy, Wendy, was, Wendy, let me ask you this very quickly. Please don't uh -huh. lose your thought. Let me ask you this, girl. So you said things are important, but not nearly as important. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how long it takes us to get back pre-pandemic in our mindsets yes. and behaviors. But, look, but you particularly, being a person who embraces, creates, understands, and expresses fashion. Yes. How much of that fashion were you really using that you had collected over these last few years Girl. during COVID? <laughs> like, how much of it was just from here to here? <laughs> Most of it during the, the uh, pandemic was from here to here. What you're seeing now, was it? <laughs> but because I enjoyed it so much, um, and, and we were under serious lockdown, like Australia-type lockdown. Like we, yes, we could yes. go to various communities for six months at a time and go to various parts of the country. And because my parents were old, I didn't want them going out. So I, I would do the shopping for them and I would make sure they have their, you know, their, their fresh fruits and veggies every week and that kind of thing. And I remember going to my mother's house and mommy saying, Wendy, where are you going? I said, mom, I'm here to drop off your fruits and veggies. She's like, why are you and my grandson dressed up? Because I had on my fiercest, most beautiful Louboutins. <laughs> and a very cute little simple outfit. And I had not put on makeup at that point because this was very early in the pandemic for about three months. I was in full drag, Janice. The eyes, the everything, the hair, done. Okay, done, girl. And my mother... <laughs> <laughs> could not. my mom could not believe that I was being disciplined and going back to my house she's like I swear you're going to one of these naughty COVID parties that I hear that is I said no mom I'm going home I'm being a good good girl but I'm just tired of sitting at home in sweats you know but I'm it shifted you didn't it, it I, I don't it know that it shifted me entirely it shifted me from the perspective that you know I, ha I have a, a, a lot of beautiful things because of what I have done in my life there are many things so yes I work in the corporate sector um here but I'm also I've also worked in entertainment over the years etc so you acquire things and, and and that's what I mean like I don't need any more things I'm very clear on that um yeah. you know so for like holiday I enjoy giving and I've always enjoyed giving much more than I do receiving I'm not very gracious at accepting things I've never been good at that it's gotten worse during the pandemic so, you know, like for Christmas, for the last couple of years, my very close friends, I insist that they give me their time. I have this one girlfriend who lives in central Trinidad. She rarely comes to town. She's my buddy, but she's become a phone buddy over the years. So I insist for the, I've insisted for the last two years that for my, my Christmas gift from her is a day or a weekend with me. We will do whatever I want, <laughs> but I just want the time. You know? I have a dear Wendy, my dear friend, Francine Lafrac has offered me well in front of COVID to come and just spend time with her, whether in New York or her home in Connecticut. And yes. she is someone I value so much and creating that time to do that. I'm now beginning to feel as though, have I really disrespected that tremendous offer to bring me into her home by not finding that time? It is now 
my commitment to find that time. And it's so awesome you say that. Uh, and that, this, that becomes much more important. Don't you find so, Janice? Like post-pandemic, we are more acutely aware of that. We are more acutely aware of our relationships. I, you know, I, I, we, my family is a very loving family. Like we never get off the phone and say, and not tell each other we love each other. Even if I have an argument with my parents, right. they will say, daddy will say to me, I may not like you now, D. Marcel, but I love you. Bam, yeah, and yeah, yeah, the phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and you know, those, uh, those, those Zooms that we did as a family, there are eight siblings, right, of us. Yes. I have seven who are still alive now. And my mom, and just meeting with each other over COVID and having yes. our Sunday dinner Zooms and, you know, checking yes. in on each other. In, in some ways, we became closer and more responsible, I should say, even more, uh, more wanting uh, to be present together than before COVID. Uh, you know, will we get to hug each other again? Those are still recent memories for so many of us. That's right. There and I don't think we will take that for granted. I don't think this generation. So I have to give you a quickly a little story. My mother's aunt, who is still alive, and not only alive, she is thriving and fabulous, but she's 104 years old. So okay. she was born in 1918. She was here for the last pandemic. She remembers going to school in Trinidad with a mask on. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and, and, and she said those memories never leave you. The importance of family, the importance of you cherish those things. As she said, she's 104 now. She survived another global pandemic. <laughs> and, um, and she says, you know, Wens, what you are saying to me, I lived it. I lived it before. And that's why you are so important. That's why I check in with you at 104. I speak to my aunt at least twice a month, pre-pandemic. Now, every week. <laughs> Yes, know? yes, yes. We hang out. Uh, my son, who is now 16, but uh, uh, thoroughly because she's so smart, whip smart at 104, enjoys her company. I would take her out on a Friday night to have a drink with me and my child. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and, and, and it's because we will not take those relationships. We, we, I think this generation will take each other, uh, will not take each other for granted as much as we did in the past. I'm Not hoping that out of the, you know, the, the angst and the anger, the uncertainty comes um, kindness, a little more kindness, a little bit of humility, um, just a little more attention to each other. I really and they are and, and and Wendy, they are they are uh, requiring those of us who are employing them to be that way as companies as well. Yes. They are making it very clear. Every day, my uh, my teams tell me how it rises up higher and higher, stronger and stronger, that people who are looking for work are prepared to decline work in companies they don't value as valuing, whether it's the environment or each other or That's whatever. Right. It's very high on their list of priorities. Yes. I Two more questions I got to ask you before Absolutely. we go to four before. I'll ask them together and you answer them however you want, okay? Sure. I got to know, the family has to know what person has impacted you the most in your life. I mean, we hear oh. your obvious love and, and, and respect <laughs> for, your, for your parents and for your dear auntie, but you know, who has impacted you in that way? And tell us a little bit about your goals between now and 2025. Last two questions. Okay, great questions, Janice, and hard to answer. There are <laughs> two people 
um, that I try to emulate. Uh, one is Nelson Mandela. I had the opportunity to meet him in 1999 and spend time with President Mandela in South Africa. And what <laughs> an amazing, uh, what an amazing, genuine, um, confident, yet humble human being. Um, I see him as otherworldly, um, a, a, a tremendous amount of respect for that man and how he was able to steer his country through a very difficult time. And his legacy lives on, you know, because he was so, he embodied what I think is lacking in many of our leaders now. And that is a true sense of empathy, understanding the next guy, even the guy oppressing you and trying to kill you right yes um and not being and not and not being silly never stupid um but understanding firmly that there is a marked difference between kindness and stupidity and you can be confident and kind you can be very firm very strategic very focused and kind i've learned so much um mm -hmm. from nelson mandela from reading uh you know everything he's written from just following him from that time, those two weeks I spent in South Africa and the opportunity, because he was giving up the presidency at the time, he was stepping down as president um, and allowing me the opportunity to visit various communities with him that I will cherish forever. Uh, so he's one. And, um, and number two is a fabulous- I will tell woman. you, I will tell you, Wendy, Wendy, I will just tell you, I share with you that, that awe that 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 awe and that not just the inspiration but the teaching as you said having visited his jail cell and his home never having met him i don't know how much of what my emotion and my spiritual evolution i took with me that you know into that space that i wanted to have and how much was there and greeted me i will tell you that it was white it and I think most people share that you're not quite the same once you've done that and yes. what you're expressing is even on another level thank you oh it, that time I mean I, I genuinely appreciate that so much you know having had the opportunity to not only meet him but spend time with him and see him in action see him working did, 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 and you, have, his did you cry did you cry after you met him? I mean, in the in the presence of him, I'm sure you were just, oh, but did you cry? It was him? very emotional, but he mm -hmm. was so unbelievably down to earth. And he had done his homework. He knew everything about me, my parents, yeah. my sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we had such a good time together. He had me laughing constantly that we, we forgot to take um, a photograph together. So yeah. he called my hotel that night because I was in, in, in Johannesburg and asked me if I could please do him the favor of coming back to see him tomorrow, but unfortunately not in Joburg in Pretoria to take a... At first, I thought it was somebody playing a trick on me. I thought it was my same consul general who had accompanied me to that on that trip to South Africa. I said to him, Terry, stop playing the fool now. You're really Nelson Mandela. <laughs> and he was like, no, um, no Wendy, I am. Uh, this is Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> he called me himself. He picked up the yeah. phone and called my hotel. 
yeah, 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 yeah. me because you know he knew I had a, a tight schedule. He also had a tight schedule, and if I could please do him the honor of coming back and having and and having a photograph of great people understand simple pleasure. Yes, yeah. and, and 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 that's where and I think because we made that little faux pas, we didn't take a photograph together. That's where it started. So of course, I made my way to Pretoria the next day. And then I had the opportunity to, uh, to visit a village with him. He was doing a lot of work, as I said, both in terms of giving up the leadership of ANC, but also in HIV. And even as Madiba, you know, in South Africa, Nelson yeah. Mandela was one right. rung below God. There's God, yeah. Mandela, and the rest of humanity. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 and yeah. Even there, a lot of the, the community leaders, the tribal leaders, etc., were having a very hard time accepting what was required to get South Africa beyond their um, AIDS crisis at the time. You know, even Miss uh, Mandela was struggling and he, um, I spent a little bit of time with him on the road in that regard. And it was unreal to see how he was able to understand, you know, with tremendous humility, but always in that voice, in that uh, there's a, a tremendous level of, uh, um, as I said, empathy, understanding, yet confidence. This is what we must this, do. Are you going this, to join me, us, yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. It was never me, I, never, never, never. It's just always, I am one of you. This is for you. I have to make very difficult decisions for you. Wendy, uh, Wendy, 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 the, this is the paradoxical thing for me. And, 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 and it's, 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 how the world, and I will speak, you spoke about your country, my country, the United States, how could we speak of admiration for this man and disrespect his country so? Anyway. Because we are very good at dissecting. We're very good at separating these things in our brains as human beings. So what goals have you got between now and 2025? And oh. then we'll play. Then we play our game. <laughs> well, so my goals between now and uh, uh, 2025, in, in terms of the profession, I've just started, Janice, a new um, uh, career, basically, uh, a portfolio with a group of companies based in Trinidad, but a global um, group, regional, we're in, uh, the Caribbean, Africa, and Europe. Um, and I chair this group. Um, 17 active companies. We are in gaming. We own casinos, restaurants, security companies, um, and um, a couple of mining operations, and I'm enjoying it tremendously. So my short-term goals are to get a handle on the businesses I run, to expand our um, restaurant businesses, particularly uh, in, in the Caribbean, um, and to ensure that the nationals that I am steering here, particularly um grow tremendously and grow internationally that aspect of what i do with the founder of the company um who was born in the uk but it's trini to the bone <laughs> um i'm enjoying tremendously uh personally i'm making some serious uh changes my son goes to school uh in the us he's at boarding school in in rome georgia <laughs> And, um, and he wants to go to university in the U.S. Um, you know, as I said, his dad is um, American and Jamaican. Um, so, and, and Elon is as well. Uh, and I think he would want to move into his father's business after. So I am making some massive changes in terms of my professional life. And in the next two years, 
I expect to be, um, I will downsize in Trinidad to some extent. Um, you know, it's just me. I don't need a massive home anymore um, in Trinidad, but I want to, to, to live on a beach. And oh. I love Barbados. So I am revamping things at home. So I spend more time with my mom. Um, and I will likely be the next time we try Janice, you'll have to come and visit me in Barbados. I look forward to it and I accept it as an invitation. <laughs> and it is indeed an invitation. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> and I'm going to wonderful. hold you to it. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so you ready to go four for four? Let's do four for four. Okay, Wendy, I'm going to ask you four questions. You'll give me four answers to each. There are no right or wrong questions. And the okay. first one is, you're hosting a dinner. Your guests can be anyone past or present. Who's going to be at your table? Ooh. And so, why? And why? And why? At my dinner table, um, if I'm hosting a dinner for four, anyone, um, I would love to have. You ready for this? I'm ready, girl. I'd love to have Bob Marley. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yes. Muhammad. Woo! And Cardi B. Now I know that sounds a little bit odd, but Cardi B is such a bright woman and is so representative of her generation and what is happening with our young people now. If you listen to her very carefully, that's a very, very bright um, young woman and uses her physical to really step up the game of her peers and of her generation. Christ and Muhammad, because I'm sure they would be horrified at how um, we behave in their names. <laughs> and therefore, I would want them to set us straight, right? And Bob Marley, because he's beautiful. And I would love to look at him and also brilliant. And I know he would be able to translate whatever the, the new and improved messages that Christ, Muhammad, and Cardi have for us in a way in which that is most universally accepted and digestible. And we may even, look, we may even get to listen to him a little bit with dessert. Absolutely. He's going to be, he's not only going to provide the entertainment, he's also going to be able to write what comes out. Oh, so listen, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to change the rules for you. You get to have five dinner guests if I can be the fifth at that time. Absolutely. Oh, oh, wonderful. Okay, let's go two for four. Yes. What music are you listening to now and why? Oh, okay. So honestly, straight up, I am in full soca mode, which is the music of Trinidad and Tobago because our carnival, which is one of the best festivals on planet Earth, happens in just two weeks. So we generally don't hear anything else at this time of the year. But as I said to you, I recently lost my dad, so I'm listening to all of his favorite uh, music too. And his music runs the gamut from Nat uh, King Cole to Stevie Wonder, a lot of Stevie Wonder, a lot of down and dirty James Brown, everything that daddy loved. But it's soca and everything my father listened to that I'm listening to right now. 
Beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> and by the way, those who you mentioned your father listened to tend to be quite trending and current today for the messages in their music. So that's truly yes. amazing. Yeah. Uh, timeless. Well, those gentlemen are timeless. Oh, yeah. So, Wendy, we're going three for four. I'm ready. What four books do you recommend to our family listening right now and why? Oh, um, Michelle Obama's most recent book, which I just acquired. I'm dying to read it. I so enjoy Becoming. And Michelle Obama is so easy, yet um, deeply thoughtful. But the way in which she delivers her life's messages um it's an it's an easy read so definitely uh, michelle's uh new book um i also um uh recently acquired spare by um prince harry which everyone is buzzing about and 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 um and talking about but it is really an excellent introspective and hopefully it will move all of us, not just the British um, population, but all of us in terms of hierarchy and how we see each other um, forward as a, as a species, as the species human significantly. There are lots of lessons in that book that I think um, we can take uh, always, always. Um, for me, don't kill me for this, but I'm okay. also reading... Um, my Bible, cover yes. to cover, because there's a lot in there that um, no one faith explores. And I, um, and because I was raised Catholic, I think all organized religion sort of skews you in the direction of whatever, wherever they want to go, you know, because they are man-made to a large extent and um, all have agendas. So I'm reading uh, my Bible cover to cover, um, so that I have my own opinion on the Bible, period. That's why. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm also um, reading um, another book. Uh, oh, I'm about to, which I am uh, a big fan of Rachel Maddow. And this you may not know about me, um, Janice, but I am. I, I enjoy thoroughly politics the intrigue of politics the excitement oh we'll do another conversation on just politics then wow <laughs> yes, yes. that's awesome i can wax warm for <laughs> hours on end and rachel maddow wrote a very interesting book called blowout um which has been around for a little while uh that sort of and because i have worked in the energy sector Mm -hmm. um, you know, the impact of, an, uh, of oil and how oil and gas informs the politics of almost every country on this planet and how influential the energy sector has been on the politics, who's in power, who's not. It's insane. And she's so well researched always um, that I'm very much looking forward to reading, to reading her book, very much. So that's where I am. Thank you. So listen, Wendy, girl, we're going four for four. Okay. <laughs> Number four, make it good, Janice. Make it good. <laughs> oh, girl, look, you're answering. It's going to be good, sister. Let me tell you. It's going to be good. 
I am just so enjoying our conversation, but I do have to go four for four with you now. Give us four pieces of advice that you think will be quite timely and important for our family. And if it is advice that was given to you, please show homage to the person who gave it to you and let us know who that was. Sure. So um, I've received great advice uh, over the years and there are a few things, uh, a few pieces of advice and, uh, that I hold dear. Some of them are quotations um, from books I've read, but many from the people in my life or people I admire. Um, one is, and I think it's very important that this time we are in, um, Nelson Mandela's quotation, read drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. Oh, yes. Oh, I yes. I love that. Repeat quote. that. Repeat that. Wow. Resentment is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. You're harming yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right? So the importance of dealing with situations with people who may have wronged you, whatever your angst may be, deal with it and get over it. If you don't, it manifests, it becomes a cancer and takes over your life, either literally or figuratively. So that's one that I live by. Um, because as you know, you get older, you, oh, there are knocks coming and going and you have to be able to move beyond those. And that is one that I've found that has helped me to move beyond. Another one that I love is from Diane von Furstenberg. And she said, um, the most important relationship you will ever have in your life is the relationship you have with yourself. Yeah. Yes. I love that because that helps you in the good times to stay grounded and focus. <laughs> and it also helps you in the difficult times to remember that that will pass and you will get over it. Um, and one comes from my mom, um, which is, um, nobody pelts stones at a barren tree, right. which is very West Indian. It's very Caribbean. And I think it's, it's, you know, an old African proverb, um, you, if anyone's unrealist, unreasonably criticizing you and trying to pull you down, it's likely because they see a deficiency in themselves in your greatness. It, you manifest something that they would like, that they want, and instead of aspiring to, they're trying to take it from you. Mm -hmm. So that has always helped me to focus and push forward and sometimes celebrate a little dig or two. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Because a little dig but that comes out of left field often means you're doing something right. <laughs> Is that not true? And then, um, and then my third, um, oh, sorry, my fourth uh, is from my son, um, uh, surprisingly. And, and, it's, and perhaps because of what I am living right now, um, having recently lost my dad who used to like to fix everything uh, but would never come over to my home just to hang out Janice he, oh, <laughs> daddy had as the kind of man who always had to have a purpose to go anywhere and do anything and I loved hanging out with him so I would want him to come over to my home every Saturday or Sunday to hang out and 
And he would always have an excuse unless I had something to do. If I had something to fix in the house, a light bulb, my machine, something broke down, the electronic gate wasn't working properly, whatever. And my son looked at me and said, mom, well, just have something to fix. If you, <laughs> you know, and, and that, and that translate, that can be translated to anyone, anything, any situation. It's that outlook. It's that, you know, you want grandpa to come over and hang out with us. You know, this is what grandpa needs to be able to do that. Adjust yourself accordingly. <laughs> you know? Be flexible enough. Think it through, mom. Have something to fix. <laughs> you know? And that, um, I always have something to fix now. Not only as it relates to my dad and, and, and my son, but generally, you know, adapt. And if I really need to, whether it's in business, in my personal relationships, have something to fix. Make sure I that you are it. speaking to that person in their language, in a way in which they can understand you. <laughs> Perfection. Wendy Marcel Fitzwilliam, thank you from my heart to your home. Oh, I'm so happy to have had this time with you. Thank you, Janice. Thank you.